Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walton. Like all great experiments in American history, the 3 and D Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the 3 and D Love NBA podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined, as always, by the brother, Ryan Eaney, and, of course, our namesake, the venerable D-Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go. Welcome back to the 3 and D-Love podcast, where it's just a two-man show tonight, Ryan. I think D called in sick. He might be hungover celebrating the Blazers' 4-0 start. What do you think? <laughs> that's, that's possible. Um, I do think D-Love has now officially lost his title of fourth Eaney brother, so we are all taking... Uh, we're taking candidates. We're taking uh, requests. Scott Wang uh, is a is an early leader for it. Um, we do have some nieces and nephews that do, you know. I think uh, some of our nieces or, or daughters may may soon qualify for fourth Eni brother. They definitely have the Eni intensity. So they sorry, sure, D Love. They sure do. We'll That's miss what happens. D. Sorry, D. You know when you when you when you when you schedule the parade for the foreigner start. I mean. It, <laughs> I am. I'm curious. I mean, is there a bigger surprise in the NBA than the, what the Blazers just did? I mean, they were down 12 to the Nuggets tonight in the second quarter, and they ended up winning by about 25. Anthony Simons, absolutely in fuego. I mean, Lillard is like peak Lillard. He's, he's in a in a time machine. Let alone all the fun kind of ancillary players. I mean, what? It's it's wild. It's wild what's going on there. It's amazing and it's tremendous. And we all agreed they'd be 10th, and it's probably one of the um predictions we all like to have back right now but again um d, d loves fine with that he's uh <laughs> he's he's ecstatic he's not like the warriors fans who are trying to think about the five-year plan he's just living the dream and no gp2 either right i mean it's not like it's like they've been all systems go to start with um yeah it's just it's fun to see them you know, to take Lillard and then throw all these wings around him and Simons and then have all these wings around them that can scramble and guard people. I remember turning on some of the Kings game and just, you know, Winslow playing center, Grant, Hart, you know, there's basically it's the Raptors with instead of Van Vliet, it's Lillard and Simons. And it's like, maybe that, maybe that works better. Also was on. Oh no, no. <laughs> Sorry. It is funny. He's sitting back in his chair with the, I don't know. What's he drink? Probably he's like a former actor. I don't know. Like something neat, I assume. And he's just sitting back in his it's mahogany. Cognac, yeah. Cognac. Just. He said, I. Tearing I, up. I, he said, I thought it was Mo Harkless and Al Farouk Amino. I was just, a, I was, I was a uh, prophet with no honor in my hometown. But no, it's, uh, it's impressive. It, it has occurred to me, like it's. And I'm curious what you think of this. Like. Watching Lillard not only come back healthy and and be just awesome, but also the way he relates to this team, where he's really officially sort of the elder statesman. Yeah, like it. It's wild to me that we might have. I mean, no one's Curry, but you might have sort of these two all-time shooters that also both function as sort of these level five type leaders. Yeah, that that that. And again, I think Curry is in a different whatever stratosphere as, as Lillard is, but Lillard is, is, is in that echelon. I mean, 
it just strikes me in this four and start and, and just what they, the way he's persevered as a player and the partnership he burgeoned with CJ and the, the way he's led that franchise and continued to persevere in Portland, you know, you just wonder like the, the type of guy he is. It's just remarkable to see his career trajectory. And if they have a really fun year this year, a kind of further Testament to what he brings as a culture builder. We talked a lot about John Morant in, in Memphis last year um, and, and obviously Curry got his flowers last year, which is with the kind of return to greatness, but it's to, to have Lillard also be in that category, both as a player and as a leader. It's just, it's not something I saw coming necessarily, especially on the player side as much. Obviously I think he, he's renowned for his leadership, but it's, it's even more pronounced. It just stuck out to me in these first four games, the way he talks to Simons, the way he sort of directs traffic, the way all the guys really just defer to him, not necessarily in an offensive way, but just as like, you can tell, like he is the guy yeah. who sort of makes, makes this all work. Definitely. He's the true North. And I think when you have your best player, like a staff or a Lillard or like a Duncan, like all the people we talk about, that's true North. It's just, everything flows from there. That's where, an NBA team at its best. And I really love it in, in the way, like you said, the cultural piece where even a guy like Jeremy Grant who went from being a role player to being you know, a lead scorer for his team, it, it just seems like it's very loose and free with um, with Portland, how they're playing, and that comes from Lillard and, and you know, his leadership that it doesn't feel like those guys have to like they feel comfortable attacking and doing what they need to do. Like there, there's not, there's not hesitancy there, but there's also not like over, um, sort of over commitment about I gotta get my shots. I got like things are flowing, and I, and, and that comes from that leadership and having someone who is you know, sort of doing the old, old point guard Chris Paul Isaiah Thomas thing where. Like, let's get everyone going, and then I will come and go as I need to, to just to rack rack up points. And when you have one of the greatest shooters, and I'm just happy he looks so great because it was a little worrisome. You know, the Kings game even it just was like okay, like obviously it's his first game, full game back in a long time, and but it was a little worrisome. And so it's so fun to see him just jetting, doing things, and and beating good teams too. It's it's not like they're just beating up on the Lakers. <laughs> which which it was it was vintage peak dame uh on sunday afternoon that was a pretty funny one to 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 uh to watch transgress obviously if the blazers are the most surprising team i think the lakers futility may be the least surprising outcome so far <laughs> i mean is it not is it not hilarious just that you predict something that it seems so misguided and ill-intended and ultimately you we're watching the Lakers melt down before our eyes. Like it's happening almost sooner than maybe it's surprising at how fast it happened because, you know, despite the fact that they, um, you know, seemingly are, are not constructed particularly well for, for a deep playoff run, they still do have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, right? No, definitely. And it, it, it maybe that's part of the, the master plan from driving ham is I'm going to just, play him and engage with him and everyone's going to see how bad this is and that we can't keep doing this and he needs to go basketball is great because it it is a while one or two players can have much more influence over the game than any other sport any other major sport it you still need that collaboration you need that you know you need the musical um number where everyone plays the different instrument and they contribute different ways and yeah, Westbrook is just—he's just—it's—it's it's not just the negative 
that you see obviously on the court is just the negative around everything. It just is taking taking the air out of the building. And it's incredibly awkward. And his comments about Ham injuring him because he brought him off the bench in the, a preseason game or all the different back and forth with him. Like They have to send him away. I, I know they don't want to do that. But even with how bad they are in terms of the rest of their roster outside of Davis and LeBron, it just isn't – it just isn't good it's just it's just so so awkward and yeah it's just it's just it's dysfunctional and I don't think anyone else would pick up Westbrook I think it's what his, his agent said to him was was before he they parted ways was you have to get your act together and figure this out because if it doesn't work out here like you're never going to play again and I think that's what's going to happen I don't think he's going to play again in the league after this like, I don't think there's anyone that would want him well, he certainly is going to get the Carmelo Anthony treatment, right? I mean, ultimately, he's going to get sort of pariahed for at least a period of time. And, you know, but, people but, will st- – I mean, people will look will, – will poke around eventually, right? I mean – I don't know. Pursue- I don't know. He can't shoot. Like, Carmelo could shoot. And Carmelo went into the wilderness, as you said, and then was willing to come back as a role player and shoot threes. And he carved out a niche that allowed him to do that. And he'd still kind of go mellow occasionally, but he was mainly there to like shoot, be a shooter and be a bench scorer, even though he did start sometimes. And Westbrook cannot do that. <laughs> this was his chance to show that. Um, so maybe there is a corollary that he'll get, he'll eventually get traded and get cut and no one will want him and he'll have to face up to that. But I just, I don't see either you're a team that's trying to win now and he's not a, it's not even, he may have some stats, but he is a, is a net negative as a player across the board, even beyond offensively, even beyond like the poor defense, just the way he's playing basketball does not work. And so there's winning teams don't want him and then losing teams don't want him either. Do you really want him to come in and just screw everything up for the players that you actually think can help you? Like I really don't see him get another job. I think this is it. It's, it's just he's going down with the ship, and they're seeing how he's acting and treating people. And the thing about this, though, is he was always like this. And we talked about it before, but he was always like this. And so I think it's very hard, particularly for people in the media. Um, I imagine people out of Oklahoma City especially who sang his praises for so long, how competitive he was, how different he was, especially he was. And that's like, no, he was a he was a total narcissist the entire time. And that's what made him great. But it, it, he's always been like this. It's just he got worse. And then he just kept doing the same thing. But it's the same things that led to the issues with Harden, led to the issues with Durant, you know, the triple the fake triple doubles, all the stuff that he's done. It's all it's all <laughs> it's all one line. It's it's not like it's not like he changed or it's just that he stopped being as good and he didn't get away with it as much. But it was still the it was still the same bad stuff when he was winning the MVP. It wasn't it wasn't like his team wasn't good. I mean, and then he got traded, and his Oklahoma City magically got better. <laughs> so it's just, <laughs> I don't know. And it's, the Rockets got worse. Yeah, I just, I just, it's just for me is, it's, I don't, I just don't understand the thinking on it. Like, do you think Polinka and Genie Bus and them think he can actually change? Like, he could change. Like, I, I there's nothing showed last year that he would change. Nothing. He's not going to change. Like, I, I just feel like they have to send him away. And then they have to um, 
you know, they can still try to include him to do a deal if they decide to do that. But just then he can just stay at home for that team. But they need to send him home. It just needs to happen. He can't. Just, well, that's the obvious outcome, right? I mean, that's the, the obvious outcome is that they send him home. I'm curious if they actually do it because they're the franchise that touts they take care of superstars. And not that that's where Russell Westbrook is anymore, but you know, going back to the, the, the Kobe kind of two-year, $50 million extension or whatever when it was like massive money at that point in time, you know, 15 years ago, they they continue or ten years ago now they you know they want to be that type of destination so I'm curious how they how they navigate treating this because because that's really the only shoe to drop I mean they've clearly messaged that they don't they either think the trade market will get better that they have better options than Heald and Turner for the first round picks that they can trade in 27 and 29 or they don't think their team even with some additions is going to be good enough to make a title run so they're going to squander another LeBron year. But regardless of either of those circumstances, the the fact that Russell Westbrook is still around is is mind boggling. I just don't know if they will actually pull the pull the ripcord because that is the thing that like seems like could actually give them some hope. Like we were talking about the Blazers earlier, and the, you watch them and and the freedom and the flexibility that they play with. Obviously, they 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 seem to be a more skilled team right now. But we've seen relatively meager supporting casts around LeBron James be quite yeah. successful and they just don't have the, the, you know, the atmosphere to make that happen. Yeah. And part of the problem is they don't have any of those guys around. So they don't, the problem is as long as Westbrook's there, he can conceivably argue that he's better than, <laughs> you know, even with his current state, he's still better than some of the guys they have, but he's just, it's a, it's a negative. And it, it does it just takes away from everything. It's just like the I don't know. It's just like it's just, it's just like turns um turns everything sour. So and I know Darvin Ham knew what he was getting into dealing with this, but I just I don't understand like they, they only need is a salary. They don't have to cut him. They can just say, Don't come. Like you go home. We don't want you to come anymore. You're still pay you, you're fine. Like don't come back. And Maybe they think he'll push back on that. They'll create some issues, but they can still use the salary for whatever deal they find eventually. Like no one, unless they, if they were really hoping that Westbrook would turn and change and someone would be like, oh yeah, we really, oh, this is, we only want one first round pick now because Westbrook is great. I, I don't know. I just, it's like a sunk cost or it's, it's, it's in the past. You have to just move forward, not, in, not dwell on that any longer. In, indeed. And it's a uh, it, it's a thing that franchise regrets, but we get to transition into things you and I regret, or maybe oh, things we're really proud of. But uh, thinking back to our Cardi Cup predictions here last oh, week, yeah. just a week in, I'm curious: Do you have any particular prognostications that you either are are particularly proud of, or have some strong buyer's remorse, some regret here a week into the season? Yeah, I mean, I, the Sixers are the obvious one. I mean, they they broke through. Um, they got a W. So that's a good thing. They beat one of the worst teams in the league, but they still got got a win. Um, <laughs> and they, they lost to the Celtics, and they lost to the Bucs, who were both really good teams. So, so it was more um, the San Antonio loss that was, oh, my gosh, this is a bigger problem. But then you hear some of the rumbling, read some of the interpretations of 
like Embiid and Harden at work together. Like Harden's playing well, but he's just playing his style. And Embiid, like, it's sort of like that your turn, my turn sort of thing instead of being complimentary. But then at the same time, the pick and roll they run is a dominant offensive play as you can have in the NBA right now. So, um, so yeah, I think putting them ahead of the other teams in the East is an early, early regret, but it's still, I mean, it's still, still early. And I think even a team like Boston, I mean, they lost tonight. It's like they, it's just, everyone's kind of finding their way right now. Um, I have been super impressed by Boston's offense. Um, They've been off the charts the first couple games. I think it fell back to earth a little bit tonight, but um, that was very impressive to me in the way Tatum's been playing. But so yeah, I think the Sixers is the big one for me right now. Any any big regrets for you so far? Well, I want to hit on the Sixers. I mean, at what point do they like? Where do you think they pull the ripcord with Doc as their coach? Obviously, you know, a coach that us, you know, the host of this podcast don't have a ton of respect for has really ridden on Kevin Garnett's sort of uh, success for, for a, long, a lot of years. Um, you know, Maury's obviously gone all in on building what he thinks I, I think would be as a incredibly competitive roster that's built for the playoffs and obviously making a run. And and Doc is sort of was an arranged marriage for Maury. I mean, they, he was hired before they poached Maury from the Rockets. And so I'm curious at what point does, does Doc, you know, do they mutually agree that Doc just goes home a la Westbrook? <laughs> and, <laughs> you can go home with Westbrook. And, and, yeah. Is there like, is, or is that much too early in the process? No, I, I think it's, it's a, it's a lineup that's sort of delicate. It's not, it, it's, it's not like, Oh, here are your five guys you can throw out there. And then you have a couple bench guys and it's just kind of hit autopilot and do it. I think, you know, the one team he won the championship with. And even the teams he, he – the Clippers teams he had, it was like, here's your starting five, a couple bench guys. He doesn't really play that much. He just rides the starters. It's pretty, you know, rinse and repeat. It's not – there's not a lot of tactical changes you can make. Now, he probably should have made more, particularly with the Clippers in terms of how he approached things. But they had great starting lineups. They did well just do that. But I think with this team, it's a little trickier because – I think they, you know, they they don't fit perfectly. It's kind of how Maxi fits in, how you, you know, work with that. I'm a little bit surprised Melton hasn't been playing more. He's been playing like, you know, kind of like third guy off the bench as opposed to first guy off the bench, which I was sort of hopeful that's where he would kind of be the glue between kind of kind of in the Harden Maxi. Um, Minutes and I, and I think even just being creative about how he uses guys around Embiid, how he uses Harris, like this, I just think there's some value add from the tactically you could kind of pull out of this roster that he's not getting. Um, at the same time, I do think it would be a really surprising move if he just moved on from Rivers. Um, I think particularly because Rivers has so much traction in the league and is so well respected in the league it would be a big a big move but so i think that would require a lot lot like that would require a lot more bad play and losses to get to that point but what do you think i tend to agree i think that it would really be sort of a demarcation in the league sort of you know kind of choosing sides given just the stature of both of those guys 
the challenge I find is that he's all in this year. I mean, this is the this is the team he's built. This is the roster he has. This is, it's finally sort of it, he's molded it after a couple of years. He convinced Harden to take less money, right? I mean, he 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 put all the pieces together, and so if if it's not this year, then when? And the only lever he has to pull is is Doc. I mean, that's the that's the only I think to me that I see. You know, if they end up going. You know, if they're eight and fourteen or eight and sixteen, and the, oh yeah, the, I mean the that. Is, yeah, that would. I feel like that would be. Um. That's the type of start that would bring that war, into play. Warrant a conversation, or at least some yeah, action. yeah. I just it just takes some creativity because when you have a big guy like Embiid, it's you gotta. It's, yeah, it's not like the NBA 30 years ago. You have to find, you have to work to find a way to to really utilize him to his utmost potential. Because he's not Giannis, he's he's not Jokic. He's got his own unique skill set. And I think, as Zach Lowe's points out, if you have him on the move, like in the in within like 17 feet, he catches the ball on the move. He's just unstoppable. It's either like hope he misses the shot he should make, <laughs> or foul him, and he'll hit the free throws. So. It's just, you know, again, like at some point that that lack of tactical creativity does impact um, does impact things and negates things. So I think, yeah, if, they, if they're 500, you know, you know, you know, 30 games in, like even that would, you know, kind of be like, okay, what can we do? Because you do wonder if they had you know, a better offensive tactician. I mean, that's where they have to, to win is they have to be in like a, num- a top five offense because their defense is never going to be like with the backcourt they have, their defense won't be able to be that great. I, I mean, I, I do think like Harris really holds them back actually. Like he's, <laughs> he's, he's, it's just kind of, you kind of feel like if you could pull him out for some other type of player there, um, I don't know. It's just like strange because he scores, his stats are decent, and he, but he plays a lot of minutes, and it's not clear, like if he's really adding a lot of value um, across the board. So, so I, I, it's not a perfect roster, but I think if they had a coach that could be more creative, that would help help them help them kind of get over the hump. But we'll see. We shall see. Well, you asked me about my regret. Uh, you know. Derek is not here to claim ownership over his Clippers pick, but I did show up and I will claim some, some trepidation around my Minnesota Timberwolves pick. Oh, oh, D love for I, uh, fourth Indian brother returns again. He, uh, (laughs) you know, I, the, the Timberwolves, I, I, it does not look how I expected it to look. I think, the, the defensive challenges that associated with with Carl Anthony Towns playing more substantially on the perimeter, watching some of their uh, possessions, it doesn't it it, it 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 results in ultimately Gobert not he necessarily having the power or the or the the impact that he traditionally had in Utah, um, and and so and then offensively, as good as Cat has been, and he's been pretty good. I mean, it's they seem to sort of go as Edwards goes. And so he's had, you know, and he, he, he ultimately relies on that pull-up jumper a lot, which has actually become a pretty good shot for him. Even though every time he shoots it, you're like, can you just go to the rim? 
Yeah. Um, he's sort of a, a quandary that way in terms of what he does versus what you would like him to do. Even though, again, it's pretty effective, um, particularly when he gets it going. So um, I, I'm not... He, he, lastly, I think, you know, the, the D'Lo minutes, I mean, he's their starting point guard. He, he, he just leaves a lot to be desired. You're kind of going, if they had... Uh, uh, someone even just to organize things a little bit more thoroughly than, than D'Angelo Russell. It feels like there would be a lot of um, market improvement in terms of just how that, how that team flows and moves the ball kind of gets set up in their offense. So um, I, I thought Finch was a man was, was on the job. I thought he was doing pulling all nighters. Uh, <laughs> turns out maybe, maybe that was all for not. I mean, it turns out I mean, when you pull an all nighter for, for a test, it generally doesn't result very well for the test. So maybe, <laughs> Maybe, maybe we, I should have I should have seen seen it coming when when I heard that story. That was something to brag about. <laughs> I was so excited. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I think we did talk about Edwards, and um, I think Cavalier similar. It's like if you get the jump from those these young guys like Edwards or Mobley, it can kind of overcome any of these other issues. But you're right; he's had really big swings, like you know, really poor shooting games you know, tonight and then the first game. And then in between, he scored 30 two different nights and, you know, shot a high percentage and did his thing. So we just, yeah, need to see more more of that from him and see if they can kind of get the mix mix right going forward. But I think, I mean, I had the Nuggets. I, I mean, it's it's there's a lot of ups and downs right now, and it'll just be interesting to see as – things norm over the next 10 to 15 games a bit and we the numbers start to get a little less wonky we can start to see you know what what people are actually doing and kind of what it it uh pretends for the future but as you said i mean the blazers swamped the the my nuggets tonight and um in a very impressive victory but also i i'm you know one piece i'm concerned about i mean i think tonight was you know there's a lot of foul trouble for Jokic, so you know, those things happen and some of those things don't go your way. But the Jamal Murray piece is definitely like it, it's funny. I've I've I'm I'm like way heavily on people I really don't believe in. Like I don't believe in Doc Rivers. I picked the Sixers to go first. I don't believe in Mike Michael Malone or Mike Malone. I have him as coach of the year and has his team going number one seed. I don't believe in Jamal Murray at all, but him coming back is like the I'm like, this is gonna take them to the next step. So that's my regret right now is only like predict base your prediction people you can count on and you believe in um don't outsmart yourself but I, I think the murray piece is just really really weird to me because he's been hurt for over a year and I, you know i know i know these things take a long time and they're very confusing but the fact that they were giving him like days off for re-entry into this he's a young guy Obviously, the injury is was severe, but it's just that doesn't bode well to me that they're uh, they're sort of handling him at you know age twenty five with such kid gloves. It's one thing for someone like Kawhi who has a lot of miles on him and has had some injury issues, and so I get oh we'll make him the sixth man, we'll do all the kind of weird stuff Kerr did for Curry when he came back from injury, um, <laughs> like the overcoaching stuff. But I just I'm I'm really concerned about Murray because he doesn't look that great and they're keeping him on a restriction and again I did, that's what I really believed in. I've, we talked about a few years ago that we thought you know, we talked about trading him for Harden at the time, um, 
So, yeah, I feel like that's been a disappointment just that because Porter's showing flashes. He's showing that he can do stuff. You know, that's the new role players are showing flashes. They're awesome. That's the thing. Yeah, they don't they don't have it's not it's not a tire fire around Jokic anymore in terms of I mean, KCP yeah, they had a great, alone yeah, is they, better than Will Barton and Monte Morris together. Like, it's, yeah, it's crazy. And they beat the Warriors. I mean, they beat the Warriors. So that's one of the more impressive wins so far. So and then they had the Jazz weird game and the of course the jazz beat everybody right now including all of our my nuggets your timberwolves everybody in between so um but i just yeah i just don't know with murray because i've never been a big believer i think i just think it's sort of like the guys around curry maybe the guys around Lillard we're talking about is they're so good offensively that they just they just make it so much easier for everyone else and all this talk of oh it's the murray Jokic pick and roll and it's like no it's just Jokic pick and roll with Morris or Barton or KCP <laughs> or Murray or Campazzo or whoever doesn't matter. So, so I just kind of, I have regrets around that. Um, but yeah, any other ones that come to mind for you? Well, I could, I, I could I, go all night. I could go all night. I really do. Oh yeah. I really do regret not putting the Spurs and the jazz in the playoffs. I mean, what were we <laughs> Seriously. When Popovich said they were not going to win the championship, that was uh, his team took that to heart. They took that as a as a slap in the face. Jakob Pertl was offended by that. <laughs> someone is, go, go ahead. ahead. Now someone pointed out that the Sixers. I think one of their horrible years, they went like thirteen and sixty nine. They went. They went, started out three and out. I think that was the Michael Carter Williams. Um, uh, is he the next Doctor J era? But didn't last for long. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Popovich starts, uh, you know, putting banana peels on the court, and Danny Ainge starts crank calling guys in the team. And well, I'll, I'll tell you what. I mean, the Spurs one's surprising. They have some nice. I mean, Vassell and 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 Pirtle, I mean, there's some guys that like are capable basketball players, but they're they're they are a team that is well within their capabilities to be very bad. Um, I'm just, you know, they're just, they're not a very good basketball team. The jazz like legitimately have real basketball players. Like Danny Ainge has a problem on his hands in terms yeah. of what to do with like Conley, um, Clarkson, Markinen. Markinen. Yeah. I mean, I mean, these are guys that are like real professional basketball players that he has to figure. I mean, he's either going to like, you know, they need to have a calf strain in in, in quick order. Otherwise, he's gonna he's gonna be finding himself in like the, the seventh best lottery odds before he knows it. Right, marketing just says to all of his former teams, just play me at power forward, give me thirty five minutes a night, and I will I will dominate the league. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm not a small forward shooting corner threes, and I'm not. I shouldn't be in like a rotate. I shouldn't be playing center for Billy Donovan. Like I should be. And an outside end power forward who just you know goes crazy on people on the offensive end. So it's uh, homeless Dirk, man. Yeah, I I do wonder if Ainge over. You saw with the Bogdanovich trade. I wonder if he overestimated the uh, value of some of these veteran veteran role players because he really didn't get anything for Bogdanovich. That's, that sh- trade still shocks me, and I know they can't really do it with the money, but it's just weird to me that. There wasn't a jazz trade for the Lakers for like, you know, a bunch of these dudes to add up to the 44 million in like one pick. And I feel like I know everyone's like, oh, that wouldn't take. I, I know people say Turner and Heald wouldn't get them to the 
you know, the contender level. It's like, have you watched them play? Like, we, we just need to step them up another, like, just a mediocre. And I understand we, you can't give away both picks to do that, but it's just they, they're that line, that roster is a mess, a hot mess. And I just want, but I just wonder if Ainge has overestimated what he's going to get for Conley, some of the other veterans he's picked up because. I mean, I feel like if there was a market for them that he felt good about, he'd already be doing it. And I, I just I don't know what the dynamics it plays. It kind of reminds me a little bit. I always come back to this example, but it was the the Jerry West Grizzlies so long ago, but they had acquired all these like good they had ten really good players, but they didn't have any stars. And then their theory was, oh, we'll be able to trade these guys for stars. And no one wanted to do um that move until you know, Chris Wallace took over for Jerry West and did that move for someone else and gave the star for basically <laughs> not much. So the other way it worked. Javaris Crittenden. Yeah, but I just wonder I just wonder if if Ainge has, has sort of overestimated what he's gonna get for these guys and then so I guess it's his move then just to sit him eventually. And because like the the thing is like or every, dump him for cheaper, right? I mean I think there's like a there's a, a theory oh, that the are Olenic trade. Olenic trade. Yeah, I mean just just slowly sort of take something. Yeah. Just take something. I mean, the challenge is when you look at the league, you know, like it is where, where who's trying to be competitive. That's willing to give something of value for, you know, final pieces. Right. I mean, that's, I think the interesting element here, you know, is, is there like a Milwaukee second round pick if they can make the money right for like, one of those fringy guys, right? Like, is that a Clarkson destination off the bench? Or is there, like, you know, is Conley to, I'm just, you know, thinking of, like, is Conley to, um, uh, the Nuggets, like, as that kind of, a sort of like a, Ooh. as like a, like a backup, but like primary ball handler type of person. Is, is that like a, a viable solution, right, for a second-round pick and, you know, whatever? It's, the money always makes these things complicated, but, yeah, like, you know, I, I am curious if that's if that's ultimately where this goes because, again, you can't have them around all the time. There's These guys aren't going to mail it in, um, you know, until they, like, just aren't playing. But and maybe that's what's in our, what our forecast. Did yeah. you see that – did you see that it was released that Silver – Basically admitted that the tanking is going to be at all time levels of bad this year, and 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 while he didn't uh, he didn't indicate that that he was going to take action, he did allude to relegation being a possible solution to the problem. Yes, uh, it, what what is he doing? Like he gives the most lawyerly response ever in the worst possible way. And I said as a fellow fellow lawyer to the Sarver report. Just lawyers up the response, like does not stand against it. Like it's just, just total, you, you know, just total, just takes the path of least resistance. Total legalese, like weak, weak. I mean, even Zach Lowe saying it's weak, right? I mean, it's. I'm not saying that Zach Lowe is like a great writer, but I'm just saying he's he's company guy. He's part of the league. Like he's not. He also gonna, criticizes no one. Yeah, so it's like he was like, this is this is not good. But then you go from that to then sitting down with the the son's employees and doing a Q&A with them, which is well-intentioned, and then start answering all of these questions that have nothing to do <laughs> with... It was incredible. It's just like, oh, what about competition? You think they got him and, drinking? Yeah, it's just... Why? Again, you could just... I thought you were good at kind of 
bringing things back to the uh, to the topic at hand. But yeah, I, I just I just can't believe like, how badly that whole process has been run, where the initial response was so tone deaf. And then now you're breaking news during a Q&A with the employees, trying to show them that you're supporting them and things can get better. Um, and, and by the way, though, the whole thing of like, oh, I knew Sarver was a like a weird, a, like a difficult guy. But I had no, like I think that's total, total BS. Like the, the league knows the league knows what's going on. They they know what's happening. I think like. I would put silver next to Steve Kerr in the, Oh, what? I can't believe I never saw this stuff happen. Like they knew this guy was a scumbag, like no offense to him or his family, but like they knew Sarver had issues. They knew like we all, again, you might say the goat thing that was reported that he put goats in his general manager's office and started defecating is like, maybe that's under the difficult banner, but that's just like really weird, whacked out behavior. It's it's like, <laughs> And the idea that he that they didn't know he was doing this sort of stuff, especially Steve Kerr didn't know it. It's just it, you know, that type of stuff just makes me gets me so frustrated because it's like, of course, of course you knew, of course you knew what was happening. So yeah, that was just it's been a very strange journey. I don't know who's giving Silver his advice on his his communications approach, but. <laughs> I mean, maybe he just didn't expect them to ask these types of questions. He thought I was going to be very specific to the Sun situation, and they started like asking him. I don't know. Did Baxter Holmes feed the employees questions he wanted to ask? <laughs> it's like, I broke this story. I did all this great stuff for you, so you owe me. Here are all these questions I want him to ask, on the, answer the record, then feed me back the answers so I can report the story. <laughs> no, it's – well, and the owner the owner commissioner thing I think is always really unique and, and, and misunderstood in a lot of sectors. I mean, you even seen them in the NFL, right? I mean, ultimately, I think a lot of these owners are not great guys. I mean, I think that's just – Oh, you yeah. find that in that echelon of the world, they've they've basically been able to do whatever they've wanted for, and it's much worked of for them. Lives. Like what they've done has worked for them and been incredibly fruitful and productive for them. And well, and and, and then you end up with a change. Yeah, they're not going to change. Well, and you it. end up with a guy like Daniel Snyder, and his response to being threatened to 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 potentially sell his team is if they try to force me to do that, I have, you know, the laundry list of things on every other owner, right? Like that's, like, that's right. his modus operandi. I mean, I think a lot of these guys are kind of like that. I mean, the fact that Sarver sort of backed off his guns and ultimately said, I'm going to sell the franchise and move on with my life is, I mean, is like the best you could hope for in this circumstance, given that, right. Again, no, no other owner was going to ultimately force his hand to make that happen. Right. They needed him. We talked about it. They needed him to do what Sterling's wife did, where they had the authority and they're able by under duress, under pressure, but still make a free will decision to say we want to sell the team. So I, I do get that part of it. I just, and I agree. I, I think it's these commit. The commissioner has to manage these. He has to manage these owners. It's not you know they're, they're otherwise they're managed by the owners, and then they report to the owners and. They try and navigate that, but they can't get too far ahead of him. So, but it was it was like, what else is going to come out? What else is he going to talk about? <laughs> and, and I did I did get a chuckle. I mean, relegation is like never, ever, well, ever no, going to happen. But you saw that he had to come out and get interviewed by Malika Andrews and basically walk through the, some of the things that came out from that Q and A and be like, oh no, no, I was just. It was a hypothetical. <laughs> you know, it's like, the lawyer is back in the building. Yeah, he's back. He's back, baby. He's back somewhere. 
Dave, somewhere David Stern is crying about. Uh, <laughs> Seriously, think, my protege. I don't think David Stern would have cared. Um, yeah, I mean, what what other? I mean, it's interesting. Like thinking about predictions, but I think one other like kind of. It's interesting. With one team has both a kind of high and a low for me so far is the Warriors. It's so amazing seeing Wiggins play, how comfortable he is. I think there's some great players that, like a Jerry Rice, he had so much fear and anxiety, in him, and it like overcoming that fear drove him to be amazing, to be the best. And sometimes that like nervous energy that that can just inspire you to work hard. And then there's guys like Andrew Wiggins who that does not help. Like the anxiety, the fear, like a lot of us does not inspire our best performance. And then to put him in this position where he came through, uh, he's traded the team, he has to kind of readapt, adapt to a new situation, learn, and then he performs so well in the playoffs. They win the championship. He's second only to Steph in terms of contribution. Gets all the adulation he he uh, deserves, and then he signs the extension at below market value. And here he is, and you just see him play, and it's like offensively he's top 20 in PER which you know it's a limited stat but still top 20 in PER that's just his offensive capability when really it's his defense athletic ability that really sets him apart and he just looks so comfortable over there and having him as a secondary um not creator really but just someone who can score off the dribble is really valuable for them because they really I mean obviously they have staff they have pool but you know, with Clay's more limited sort of post-injury uh, approach to the game, they don't really have anyone else that can do that like him. So, um, so that's a huge positive. A, a low for me is Jonathan Kaminga. I, I am so disappointed. Um, we were big fans last year. We were very supportive of him, and you know, wanted to see him get more run and more engagement. And we know Steve Kerr is not the best at integrating young players into his. His system, uh, his very complicated system. But I, I thought someone like Kaminga would have come out of last year with like with the eye of the tiger. Would have you know come into summer league. It was kind of a tell in summer league that they didn't really dominate. They played well, but it wasn't like Devin Booker in 2016 or whatever it was, where he just came out of his rookie year and just dominated to the point where we saw him and it's like he shouldn't even be playing he's so much better than everyone so maybe that was a tell with him and moody but i just i just feel like this is where you were i was hoping to see sort of like a Kawhi type of jump where it's he's so athletic he's so good that you can't help but play him um and part of it's kerr but i just everyone locally saying he's in the doghouse or heading to the doghouse and it's a bummer because i i really think he's incredible and i feel like i just would hope that he would have taken that jump and been like i may not be starting but i'm your i'm your seventh man like pool and i come off the bench with wiseman and we're gonna we're gonna go after it and instead you know he's getting some playing time and then not taking advantage of it and i know it's a hard position to be in i would not want to be in that position with kerr and i think eventually it will bite kerr that he's not integrated these guys more seamlessly but Right now, it's on Kaminga. He's got to step up, and I thought he would. And it's a bummer he's not. It, it is a great point. I mean, Kaminga, as much as I want to make a Kerr joke about a missed defensive rotation, I mean, Kaminga has been just a bundle of nerves. Like, he can't speak, you know, speaking of Wiggins and, you know, the pressure that he felt. I mean, it just seems like Kaminga, like, is, is 
he's so eager to sort of prove it himself, but he's also so nervous at the moment that he can't just play freely. I mean, and he might be a player. You know what? I, I was watching that first game of the Lakers game where he was just really kind of spazzing out. And I, it occurred to me that's like he he might not become, you know, he, I mean, he very likely won't become, you know, the Kawhi sort of like kind of apex predator wing player. But what he what he reminded me of, as I said, if he could become like Sean Marion for that franchise, I mean, that would be an incredible like result of of him and, and his career, especially considering the fact that, you know, Moody did have a little bit more assertiveness in summer league. He did dominate a little bit more in line with what you expected. You see Moody come out and again, he's not necessarily getting as much burn, but he certainly has some opportunities and he seems to, to kind of relish the moment. And then Wiseman. I mean, yeah. Wiseman actually is getting time. He, you know, again, Wiseman ain't going to become a Lajuan, but he sure is going to be a very serviceable, you know, starting center, backup center, kind of rim runner, Tyson Chandler type potentially here. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, I mean, it occurred to me that like Wiseman might have a longer leash because, you know, Kerr did have to play him for two years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But right. it's it is um that that's a that's a great call out on Kaminga because I'm curious to see how it again kind of evolves because you know they they were able to replace the Auto Porter sort of GP two space with with Green and and DiVincenzo but they're obviously kind of a different version of that and and with Draymond a being in a complicated situation and being a year older kind of. Pairing Wiggins with with more athleticism in Wiseman, Kaminga, and Moody to a lesser degree is going to be really important for them to have that flexibility to throw at all the different kind of challenges they're going to see here throughout the season. Um, and so I'm curious to, to see how that progresses because you're right. I mean, if Kaminga ends up getting DMPs or just a few minutes here and there, I mean, we, there's, a, there's a problem there to figure out how that's going to get resolved because, again, he's pretty important, I think, to their – their ability to throw a lot of different looks at people. 100%. And I, I think, you know, there's already, they have 11 guys that they could play. And so I think they just have to figure out, like Kerr's going to figure out how you get to eight or nine. And so, like, I was shocked that Moody didn't play more early. Like he, he got more minutes yesterday in part because they were up so much. But then Kerr was pissed after the game that he had to put back in the starters late because they struggled. And, I do like that he's doing the Wiseman pool pick and roll. Like I do think he's accepted the fact that Wiseman, he said it now. It's like Wiseman's a great dive man. And so, you know, we'll have pool and Wiseman be like the hub of the offense for parts of each half when they're in together. So I'm glad about that. I just, I just don't know. I think they're still figuring out how to fit around that. Cause they both had kind of, you know, obviously it's very noisy stat, but, bad plus minuses in the game. So, um, but I think they're going to try and figure out who those guys are and where they're going to be. And I think Kaminga could easily find himself on the way out because, you know, Moody's not going to, is going to like do less great things, but do less worse, bad things too. And then, you know, they obviously like Jermichael Green, who will already drive me crazy. He's playing more than Kaminga. <laughs> I know that's already happened. <laughs> um, and obviously DiVincenzo, but yeah, it's, it's, 
it's not an easy place to be, to be like, this is your few minutes and you have to be really good in these few minutes to get more minutes. That's not an easy place to be in. Like you're saying, like there's definitely some pressure there, but, and I think for someone like Kaminga, I think he probably, he is one of those guys that was, was probably not, um, not served very well by youth basketball in the sense that, and you even saw it in the G league, he was so ball dominant. And he just, he's just not, he just doesn't sound like he's been prepared to play off, play three dribble basketball where, you know, not every, if you're at the lead guard, you don't get the ball in your hands. You get the ball, triple threat, and you have three dribbles to like either shoot off the dribble or get to the rim and that's it. And you just need to play three dribble. And he's just not, he feels like someone needs the rhythm dribbles to get him going and get him kind of comfortable so he can kind of get into his game and, you know, make his move to the basket. And it's just, it's easy to say because the guy's incredible and he basically came out of high school and went to the NBA. I mean, it's incredible what he's done in his career. <laughs> exactly, right? He's amazing, but you're, you're like, it is important to be a three dribble player because in the NBA, everyone's a three dribble player except for like the very best of the best. And he can't adapt to that. Like you're saying, like Sean Marion, like that's, he, I just don't feel like he has, he views himself as like Kobe. He doesn't view himself as Sean Marion. And, I think partly is is not being, you know, able or willing just to play. Because if you if you could play like Sean Marion and embrace that, maybe with more shooting, but still be like, I'm just looking like. I mean, Sean Marion was like a one dribble player. It was, it was like he would get the ball and transition, take one dribble and dunk. And if Kaminga could embrace that and play like that, um, but even Sean Marion didn't like that he was a power. People considered power forward and he couldn't shoot and. Everyone wants to be a wing and just gun, but I, I don't know. I, I maybe had too much riding on Kaminga, and we'll see what happens. But it doesn't really feel like we're on a path for him to, you know, carve out time and and show that he can he can stand out. I don't know, but Moody too, though. I mean, I was like, I thought those guys would be like raring to go and would just be kind of right on Pool and Wiseman's heels in terms of playing and engagement and everything. So. Well, especially on, on Wiseman. I mean, you thought that obviously he was going to get the backup center minutes, but you thought that those guys were, were a bit ahead of him in terms of development. Right, and right. Wiseman's looked great. I mean, you know, again, some challenges, but, but overall has looked great. Um, but it is. The, Kaminga, I think ultimately I think I'm, I'm, I'm landing on the fact that I think I hope his destiny, destiny is to get traded to the Raptors and, yes. fall, and fall, follow the Siakam journey. Yes. Besai Ujiri kind of sh- guilt shame him into sort of yes. evolving as of his player style. Just sends him <laughs> VHS tapes of the Matrix. Say, this is, this is you. This is who you should be. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, that is – that's a good one. Um, I mean, it's been fun. I mean, it's fun to see all the rookies. I know D Love wanted to give a shout out to all the rookies, and obviously, you know, Paolo re- represented Seattle Rotary and had a great has had a great first first game and even first week. Some ups and downs. They still haven't won a game yet, but obviously, is you know making his name be heard in the league it, just out of the gates is incredible and great to see and. You know, I I think um, I think there's so many different guys that have potential, and it's just fun. We're talking about Kaminga's a second year guy, and Wiseman's a third year guy, and have all these rookies that are playing now too, and it's just it's just fun to see it. It's been really fun having basketball, and 
I feel like there's so many games that are interesting. Even with the the tanking, obviously, obviously that will change as the season goes on, and when Utah and San Antonio aren't leading the West anymore. But it's still really there's so many different games that are interesting, so many different matchups, and it's be fun to see how it all plays out. Well, and that's it. The uh, you you turned me on to League Pass being ninety nine dollars this year, and it was like it's such a good deal. Yeah, to be able to like bounce around on those like you know Tuesday nights where they're. Or, or Wednesday nights, I think, where there's like ten games going yeah. on oftentimes. Yeah. You're just like bouncing around at like five p.m. It's just, yeah. I mean, it just it is remarkable to watch all of these young guys, like how good the league is in terms of just where the talent level is. Um, it's it, you know, it it everything. Every team, to varying degrees, has their level of of entertainment. I mean, I think I was watching like an Oklahoma City game a couple nights ago, and it was just. You know, they're obviously intentionally losing. And meanwhile, you have like Lou Dort and, you know, SGA just doing stuff, right? Uh, yeah. You, you have Giddy just just kind of, you know, putting his head down and driving to the basket. I mean, you have these like you have these interesting young players where you're like, oh, wow, Chet plus another lottery pick. This team might be pretty good. Like it's this is going to be curious to see how this this develops and evolves. Um, you know, so, so the young talent is really fun. And yeah. I will say, I, I, my last, I will say, my not regret, my, my, I'm not prepared to take a victory lap quite yet, but I like where it's trending. <laughs> Putting the heat towards the bottom of the yeah, man, in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. I mean, when I saw Bam Adebayo have like nine points in the second game of the season, I was like, yes, by time. No, I was looking at that too. He's having 13 a game. It's, you know, he's taking like 10 shots a game. And I think it's just one of those, we talked about it, I think another kind of the pre preseason pods it's you just see someone and you're and you're like oh my gosh if he just gets a little bit better he will just be incredible he's already great but he just for whatever reason he hasn't been able to take that next jump where he you know they really need him to be a scoring threat with how bad Lowry is and he doesn't seem to be coming back and how one-dimensional everyone else is in their offense except for you know really you know, Butler and Hero, and Hero is obviously a weak link on defense. I mean, it's it's so tough for them right now that like when they didn't have Martin because he got suspended for a game, he they really need him in terms of being like a like having some length and some all around skill and be able to shoot and kind of do different stuff. They just have they just have people in their buckets and they can't they can't do much more. Um, but yeah. We'll see, man. This doesn't doesn't look good. I think someone po- I forget on Zach Lowe's podcast, someone pointed out that did did when Jimmy Butler did the like the the fake locks or whatever, did he know that that would be his picture for every you know every every picture of him on any NBA telecast or ESPN.com for the rest of the year would have that. And he must have known, right? That must have been his. I would say, yes, yeah. I think that I, I hope he had that a, was at least he was moment. running a coffee. He had a coffee cart in the bubble. He understands. He's playing. He knows the game. He's playing. Um, he's real, but I, real entrepreneurial. But I, but I agree so much on the um, the skill in the league and the young players. And I you know the Blazers have a lot to be excited about. But Sharp just looks really really good and I, I gotta give Cronin a lot of credit I mean, we had some laughs when he first took the job um but he came in he had a plan it didn't work out like he wanted they didn't get the luck they wanted they didn't get that much for CJ um and obviously it's very early in the year but I think what really turned it for me in terms of what he had in, in mind was when he hired Mike Schmitz from 
Draft Express and ESPN to be his assistant GM because part of that guy was a really good communicator and he came across really good on his ESPN spots or on podcasts and stuff much more than Gavoni. But the guy is in, in the weeds. He knows his stuff. He's engaged. He seemed very capable. So that was a great hire to me kind of out of the box. And then they pick Sharp and he, I think, People point at the time we may have talked about it, that he knew Sharp, he knew kind of all the different things about him, and um, so yeah, I just feel like that pick is great, and it speaks to the broader trend that I don't think anyone's really written about, which I'd love to see like a long piece on, is how how skill was reintroduced to the American game and into the NBA, into the into the youth system leading up to the NBA, because. People talk a lot about the, um, you know, those like early aughts. Like there's the Redeem Team doc on Netflix, which I haven't seen yet, but I, I want to watch. And, it, it, you know, a, you know, kind of when we started losing, you know, the U.S. started losing, you know, in 2002 and onward in, in 04 to these other teams that we were much more physically gifted then, but we still lost in part because of skill and teamwork and things like that. It's been very interesting, though, to see. I don't think it was a direct response to that. And I think there's a lot of criticism of, like, those 90s players, like the Iverson, Glenn Robinson generation, that all they cared about was, you know, money, and they got paid a lot, and they didn't really keep working. And I think it's so fascinating to see the last, like, 15 or 20 years how much things have changed towards skill development and in terms of shooting specifically, but also just, like, technique and, um, you know, footwork, like all these types of things that, you know, when you talk about AAU, you talk about, you know, kind of the game is so, you know, is is not played well. I think that stuff's all nonsense now. I think, I still think AAU, like people are still self-centered when they play basketball, which happens in the NBA too, in any, any level. But the amount of skill that's on display and how much the youth programs are focusing on skill is off the charts. Like Josiah plays on an AU team and they have shooting on like the weekend. They just go in and shoot into these, um, you know, into the shooting things that shoot the ball back to them. And they just shoot for an hour and they have to hit certain goals. And if they don't, they run. And it's like a whole thing. And it's like, that was not happening. Like when I was growing up, like, do they have a men's league version for that? <laughs> no, there's Can actually up on the waiting list. There's a facility actually in, uh, outside of, you know, the, in the East Bay kind of farther out where, um, Steph used to work out. I think it was a facility he was even kind of part of at one point when he lived out here before the Warriors moved into the city. But um, but they have you can rent it. They have one of those. They have these machines like the, the the rebounding machines, and you can just go in and by the hour rent them and just. So we went in there one time with Josiah. And he was working out at the gym, and this guy was in there. Like it was just like a weekend warrior basketball player. He was just shooting mid-range jumpers, like one after another, after another, after another. It was great. So I, I just would love to see someone go long on that. Like you could see a Jonathan Abrams or somebody dig into that because I think it goes against a lot of the um, stereotypes of AAU, stereotypes of youth basketball in the U.S. And I, I'm not really clear on what led to it, but you see it now in all the personal coaches and the shooting coaches and the trainers people work with. They're, they're trying to work on the right stuff, and that stuff did not happen like 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, I mean it's like it's really well put, and I'm I'm curious to see how it continues to progress, and even what the what the the 
the impetus for some of that refocusing was. I mean, obviously the international stuff is relevant, but also you watch a guy like LeBron James, who physically is one of the most gifted athletes of all time, but also as a guy who's perpetually become more and more skilled, right? Definitely. And then, and then, and then, and then you couple that with the advent of staff and the long ball, and it's like all of a sudden you have an, an entire, you know, the, the era of pace and space is upon us. So, 100%. Uh, or Nowitzki, like Durant. Like you have all these guys that are – I mean, obviously they're in seven-foot frames, so no one else can really emulate that. But Or even like LeBron, but it's – Hey, man, right. if, I, if I get on that gun enough, I, I might, uh, <laughs> I might make, a, make, a, make a run here on, this, on the senior tour. You're a, high you're a high efficiency mid-range. You're the Chris Paul of the, uh, <laughs> of the 35 and under league in Seattle proper. <laughs> oh, all right, my friend. Well, uh, another one in the books. D, feel better. Uh, don't uh, don't celebrate too hard. That one seed is, uh, is good. <laughs> Hopefully, it lasts for you. Right. We'll see you next week. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us. At the Three and D Love NBA Podcast. We'll be back next time. But until then, remember, throw it down, big man. This isn't just a great podcast, it's a triumph of the human spirit.